Of all the animals, the honey badger is my favorite. You're about to find out why this week as I interview my wife, Jenny McCarg, on Ask Science Mike. You've got questions, he's got answers. Even though we may not understand, he'll talk anyway. You've got problems, he won't solve them. But he'll talk and talk and talk until he's blue in the face. Science, faith, and life. Welcome to Ask Science Mike, the podcast where I answer your questions about science, faith, and life. But this week's a little different. I said last year I wanted to do more question and answer conversation shows that involved other people. And one of the most requested guests of all was my wife, Jennifer McCarg, also known as the Honey Badger. So this week we're taking your questions for her, and I think it'll probably be fun. So let's get it started. Jenny, how do you feel? Um, a little nervous. You're nervous. A little nervous. We talk all the time. I know. <laughs> but I'm sitting here watching the screen. The red lights. <laughs> the red lights. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that whatever I say, it's not just a private conversation. It'll be. I appreciate you doing this. Broadcasted for. I'm everybody. not feeling well. Yeah, I know. And so that's your, why I offered. You said since my voice is not good, my head's not good, and I'm tired from working on the book, you'd help me out. Yes. And did you know that when I asked people who they'd like me to interview this year, you were one of the top choices? Actually, the top two were you and Hillary McBride. Oh, well, I feel honored. Yeah, that's that's you know, <laughs> that's pretty pretty amazing company. Um, so what we've done for this show is I asked my patrons what questions they had for the Honey Badger, a.k.a. Jenny McCarg. Now, if you've ever wondered why I call my wife the Honey Badger um, and why she doesn't punch me when I do so, <laughs> how'd that come about? How, how did you become the, the Honey Badger? Um, I think it has to do a little bit with being a six in the Enneagram. Um, I'm very loyal uh, and as soon as you're in my circle, uh, I will go to the mattresses for you. Um, not that I can wallop a punch, but um, I think, you know, as you said, that the honey badger is a little, is tenacious, but it's also small, cute. cute and, and they'll, and they'll mess you up. And they'll mess you up. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. It started with that YouTube video, Honey Badger Don't Give a Damn. Uh, it's Honey Badger Don't Give a Shit. Well, it says both. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there were some things happening in our life, I think, at that time where I was felt very defensive of you, of us, of our family. And so, yeah, I used to be quite um, indignant with the things I would say and be ready to fire off used to be yeah <laughs> well i still am but it, it it was really apparent then and i think that's when you decided honey badger was a good um call which the badger for all of you harry potter fans is the huffle is the mascot for the hufflepuff house and it's known for being loyal the hufflepuffs are loyal so there you go so even though this is your first Ask Science Mike, I think, 
Is it? Have you been on a size white before? Um, I don't know. I've always wanted to do an after dark. <laughs> Today's not an after dark, no, everybody. It's not an we'll, after dark. We'll do one in the future. <laughs> but we did kind of a, a super after dark uh, on Caroline Lee's podcast, Out yes, of Line. Did. Yes, we did. That was fun. Yeah, you liked that one. <laughs> I had a cocktail in my hand for that one, though. So there's no cocktail today. <laughs> I can tell you, you do seem a little more nervous, yeah. even in your body language. <laughs> I, I forget, like, not everyone talks on the internet all the time. And so I don't get like, uh, I don't get nerves about it. Oh, well, at least it's not a video, so they can't see me. Oh, I'd hate it if it was a video. Yeah, I like uh, the podcast. It's a little bit more anonymity, <laughs> just my voice. <laughs> you want to take some questions? You ready? Sure, let's go you ahead. Feel good? Let's get Feeling it started. <laughs> okay, first question came from Brandon. And he said, I am a fellow Enneagram 6 raising a daughter. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, what are your top three parenting tips for both Mike and Jenny? Okay, well, I've got one. Maybe you can come up with the other two. Okay. No. Um, with our girls and especially with our oldest, um, especially as we're coming into really full on into the teen years now, uh, I think we established early on that uh, open communication was a key to um uh, to parenting and to also um, having them feel like they could um, say anything without judgment um, and be able to come to us without with anything that was bothering them. And I'm finding more and more, especially in the last in the last year, that that open communication has really played a key role in our relationship with our children. And that I feel like it's a good parent-child relationship because I know that uh, there's many times they'll, you know, that they'll come to us again, our oldest especially, and feels like she can say whatever she wants without judgment, without shame, and we um, listen, you know, and we accept her no matter what. And she feels like that. Um, it, it always stays that way. So she does, she can hit us with whatever and she can still keep coming and not feel like, Oh, well I can't tell mom and dad this anymore. And she's always going to get uh, responses from us, even with questions, you know, we kind of, we're very open with what we do. Um, and so, and the way we think about things and we don't really keep much from them, if anything, at this point. Well, especially now that we have like young adults. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and and I just think that's a real key to parenting is the open communication as they get older. Um, let's see, two more. What would you say? <laughs> I would say balance. Okay. Expectations with emotional support. When we look at research that uh, shows the highest social and academic outcomes for children. Households in which the parents have defined expectations for how children behave and, and, and how they perform in school, that is coupled with uh, a nurturing, emotionally supportive environment. Uh, those kids tend to be kind of the happiest and the best adjusted. Um, and people tend to like 
by their personality lean one way or the other, especially if part of your parenting is in reaction to how your parents parented you. But we understand that having very high expectations, being very demanding of children without being emotionally responsive to them and answering their questions uh, creates a lot of neuroses and a lot of uh, a chronic lack of self-confidence for children. We also see that if you're just all encouragement all the time, all support with no expectations, those children have significant issues um, basically maintaining friendships and also have some behavioral issues, especially in their teenage years. Uh, but then children who receive neither expectations nor support, that's a negligent parenting style, they fare the worst of all. So I've always tried to strive for setting expectations while providing the emotional support children need to meet those expectations in a way that's developmentally appropriate. So that'd be two. Uh, and I think three, and this would actually probably be one, this is the foundation for all of that, is having um, an honest relationship with your children um, that's developmentally appropriate. So uh, that means I think it's important for parents to say, I'm sorry when they do something wrong. I think it's important for uh, parents to demonstrate through their actions that what they say is trustworthy. And I think if you do those three things, you have a decent shot at kids that are okay who will still talk about you in therapy one day. <laughs> what do you think? No, no, you're right. Um, I, I was raised like to where the parent was always right, even if the parent, if even if I think the parent was wrong, you know, in looking back in some situations. Um and there was never an I'm sorry. So I have made, I've really tried when I recognize my mistakes, because we're all human. Sometimes, you know, we fire off without thinking about what we're saying. And um, I think I've, I've tried to come back as soon as I've realized that I've, I've said something that I, I shouldn't have said, or, you know, Anyway, I, I feel like I try to come back and I do try to say I'm sorry. Let them know that I do make mistakes. I'm human, um, but I love them and that never changes. So, yeah. Okay. <coughs> it's all cost today. Do I need to tell you if I need to call? No, you just turn away like okay. that. That's fine. We're, we're running it real real conversational style today. I'm not doing my little do-do-do-do sound effects. I just thought we'd... We leave the tape rolling and see how that comes out. Uh, so our next question is going to come from Megan. And she said, with your husband's faith journey so public and pronounced, how do you navigate your own faith journey in a personal way? Mm. And that's true. The public aspect of my faith journey had personal implications for you. Yeah. Um, and I've talked about it, I think, in in some degree on a couple of other spots i know like we've had um an episode in the liturgist uh, a couple of episodes of that um what his experience did to my faith journey um of course it caused questioning as well and then um but then i also became very bitter toward when we were still in that evangelical world um bitter to the people that i had considered so close like family when you spend um over a decade in a church, giving your time and um, 
helping in those ministries, there's bitterness there when you feel like um, their back has been turned on you. And, um, and it's also hard when you're in a town where you see people that you know at the grocery store and you know what they're saying about your husband and and that he's leading all these people astray. <laughs> um, or your husband's talked about in other Baptist churches in town from the pulpit um, in a negative way. So it makes it really um, hard to, you know, have positive experiences. Um, we did find healing in the Methodist church. I found healing there. I found a uh, so I spent some time not being really involved, but then um, was able to get involved doing things. Uh, but since we've moved to California, it's been a little bit different. Um, it's been harder to find a, a church, uh, harder to find a place or even a desire to go to church. Um, I wouldn't rule out like my belief in God. I still I like to think that there's that God is there. Um, whatever being that is, uh, watching over us in some sense, but yes, my faith, my, my faith journey is, it's still a journey. It's not like I'm, I'm kind of, I guess in the middle of it, but not feeling like a longing for it to be anywhere right now. I don't know if that really makes sense. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if that's really answering the question, um, yeah. However you want to answer the question is answering the yeah. question. I mean, it doesn't like the way Mike feels about like his journey and the fact that it is public and everything. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, cause what about I, when the public knows things before you do? That bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know that that's faith. That's not a faith journey. That wasn't the faith journey question. But knowing, knowing things that affect our life, affect us personally as a family or as a, a, a couple, um, that there have been a couple of things this year specifically that have, have bothered me. Um, and I, I do get tired of talking about my experiences, which I do on podcasts that you don't listen to. Right. So that means a lot of times you're, you are less aware of some of the nuanced parts of my journey than the public is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I am. Interesting. <laughs> guess it doesn't bother me much though on that part i talked to my internet best friends yeah <laughs> all right is all that right yeah sure okay mm-hmm. whenever you feel like it's a good I, yeah well i could talk the problem is you know me i could go a stream of consciousness on one question the whole time and we'd run out of we're not run out of time People oh well more. this is a we're recording on a computer i mean it can record for hours i know hours but at hours. some point you're gonna have to know. you know edit it out of course uh, although I'm not going to edit anything out of this episode. Oh, okay. So. All right. Well, uh oh. <laughs> Robert asked a question. Okay. And his question was <laughs> What is your favorite book you've read recently and why? Oh, goodness. Um, and I'll tell you, she's been dreading this question. I've been dreading this question because to be married to someone who reads all the time, and if you, some of you have seen pictures. If you've seen what his bookshelf looks like in his office, and then he shared pictures of our bookshelf in our living room. And honestly, we used to have way more books than we do. We had more shelves in Florida. We don't have as much shelf space now. So I'm sure if we had that, we would have even more books. Um, I put a lot on the Kindle. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I love books. Here's what's funny. I was an English teacher for 10 years. Loved literature taught like some some of the classics you know I was a high school English teacher 
and um, I loved teaching it. The, the literature portion, at least. I loved finding all the, the nuances in the, in the work. So we were studying the symbolism and looking at it from a literary criticism point of view, you know. Um, but it's been really hard to, to read and to enjoy reading. And I don't know if that is um, a bit of laziness on my part. Um, it's not that I don't have time, because I do. Um, but or if or if it was just my job for for those many years and I just was like, OK, I'm done. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to I don't I have a really bad habit now of if I do start to read something, I don't finish it. Um, so, yeah, Mike's book was the first one I had finished in quite some time when I read it and poured over it for two days, like helping with edits and stuff. Um, and then I read Lisa's book. Lisa Gunger's book um, back in June when it came out. And that was, I think, the last full book that I finished. Um, you read a lot, though. I do read a lot. Yeah, you read often. Do you, am I supposed to confess here? You know, there's no <laughs> confession. Um, if, you, if you listen to the Out of Line podcast, you heard a little bit of snippet of that. I was one of those 30-somethings who, uh, women who somehow got trapped in the twilight craze and I'm almost embarrassed now to even talk about it but I think I do think there were women that appreciated me talking about it and what it meant because it was almost like um like a sexual revolution for for women in that age group everybody wondered why were these 30 something 40 something year old women like having these twilight parties I don't know I mean I don't know what it hit as far as that that part, because when I look back at that story, there are so many things wrong with it, um, you know, from the standpoint of like not a good relationship, nothing that it was based on was good as far as like the way you should have a, a, a relationship. But it was something about getting trapped in that story. And those books, I was like sucked in. And maybe it was because it was a period of life where um, our youngest, she was one. And um I guess I just kind of got sucked into it and read them all like it was after they had already come out. So it was like back to back to back reading them and then watching the movies. But then I got sucked into this thing called fan fiction, um, which some of you may have heard about. It still is existent. And <laughs> there was Twilight fan. Quite big, actually. Yes. There's actual novels that spin off of internet fan fiction. They get published. Yeah. Have you ever looked? Is there any kind of fan fiction about <laughs> You and Michael. No, gosh, Hopefully not. No, no, no. I never look. If There's, that ever happens, I've I don't never look. I've know. never looked either. But there get. I know that uh, there there are fan, all kinds of fan fictions out there oh. for duos. <laughs> um. Anyway, I got sucked into it, and it became all like uh like almost like an it was an addiction. I think, or Mike would say whether it's an addiction compulsion. or compulsion. Um. It, to the point of it was actually impeding my everyday life. Um, I have an iPad and there were times where I would actually ask Mike, can you lock me out of my iPad today? Which is easy. <laughs> um, because it was like stuff around the house wouldn't get done. I almost felt like I wasn't even paying attention to my young children at the time um, because I was so wrapped up in this escape, like in this fantasy world of um of romance of and and i don't even know like i'm sure it could be 
a good segment for therapy. Um, but uh, so, yes, every now and then I get kind of sucked in a little bit if I if I go back to the site. But it was like I I really kind of had to, you know, cut myself off cold turkey at one point and not do it anymore because it was taking so much time. So there's this really interesting theory mm-hmm. in the Academy that Twilight and similar stories were so powerful because women have been trained and conditioned that their worth comes from being desired by men. And so the framework of the Twilight stories is this vampire who even the smell of a woman's, this particular woman's like blood, I guess, yeah, drives him wild. He can't even control himself. Like Latu Cantante or whatever it was. I have no idea what that means. Uh, but he, the whole point is, it sings to him, <laughs> right? But if 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 you've been trained by society the whole your whole life that your value comes from being desired by a man, then that novel becomes some kind of wish fulfillment. Oh, to be so desirable that a man would not be able to control himself even at the smell of your blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds really sick, right? It, but now. no, it, it actually from a brain development perspective it makes a lot of sense especially for someone like you who has like a combination kind of affectionate kind of aloof partner yes yes (laughs) you know what i mean like i I can kind of like get caught in my reading fugues for days and Mm -hmm. and you have to remind me that i'm a human person and human people like talk to other people and hug other people and yeah talk to their families um, so that I think I think that all like it makes a lot of sense, really. Yeah, yeah. But it has given you a complicated relationship with reading. Yes, I think it did. Yeah, it actually did because it's it's really hard to get into a book, um, whether it be a memoir, whether it be something like you know, kind of self helpy or, um, you know, even even just a f- another fictional story, um, reading fiction. It's just it's really hard. And, um, I actually was hoping this year to, you know, kind of implement like a reading 30 minutes a day and just starting with a book, you know, um, what's funny is our oldest Madison, she's given me a book. She really wants me to read. It's like a young adult book, but it's a better book, you know, as far as, um, something that she wants to read, like a movie's coming out with it, I think. And she said, mom, read it. It's good. Uh, so I have kind of owing it to her to at least try to start that one so hopefully i'll start that one in the next week we'll see (laughs) okay that was a lot of time on that one sorry that's okay i'm just i have to host the show so i have to look ahead of the next question to figure out how to segue don't don't be it's all right you're doing great oh no it's okay all right uh rebecca and i'll just say rebecca marie i don't usually use people's last names but i know rebecca and i don't think she minds being mentioned on the show she says hi jenny First, I'd like to thank you for sharing so much of your partner with us. We owe you all such a debt of gratitude. And in that vein, as the partner of someone who vulnerably shares his life with the public, do you take good care of yourself in order to partner well with Mike? What does that self-care look like when you are doing a good job and feeling super healthy? Bonus question. It's clear to Mike's audience that he thinks you are the sexiest creature on earth. Do you love that we know that? Personally, it makes me adore you both a lot more than I already would. Mm, okay so um i don't know that i really do take good care of myself 
necessarily. Um, I think I'm so used to, and maybe that's part of my personality. Um, I think the way I feel good about myself is taking care of my family, um, making sure everything's okay with the kids and taking care of Mike, you know, um, Mike won't eat lunch unless I, (laughs) unless I come and tell him to stop working. He forgets that he hasn't had lunch a lot of times. Um, True. Yeah. Um, So I do feel like there's a, that there's a lot of satisfaction, I guess, that I get for myself as, especially having been a stay at home mom (laughs) in the last um, 10 years. And uh, I think a lot of my self-worth, of course, comes from that. And so like, if you're, if that's what your, you know, job is, if that's what we want to call it, you know, the way you feel affirmed in that is that everybody's functioning, everybody's doing well. Um, And so you get enjoyment out of that. Um, I do think, I don't feel like I'm being neglected or that I'm neglecting things I want to do in any way, but I do think there's probably ways that I could um, indulge in some kind of self-care. One of those things is therapy, which just recently, um, as in this week, I've started. Um, You know, some of you are probably aware that there's been, this has been the past year and a half have been, big for us, you know, um, since moving here. And there's been a lot of things that have come here being Los Angeles, California, if you're a new listener. Yeah. Um, there's been some things that have come to light in that and everything in our personal, in Mike's life, in our personal life, in our home life. Um, we have kids who are, um, girls, two girls who are, you know, one's a preteen right on the cusp of coming into preteen and then the other one is definitely into the teen years and while you know it's nice when you have kids that age and no longer in the toddler stage and you can um leave them on their own for a little bit and stuff and it does come with its own set of um a whole nother set of problems or things that you're not problems but you know, things that will come up. So there's been, you know, stuff that is warranting me being able to have someone to talk to about it. Um, And so, yeah, therapy, I think if you can do it, if you can um, afford it, and if you can find a good one, I think it's good to, to do that for yourself. That is a form of self-care for sure. Um, And also finding time, the things that you really enjoy doing, trying to find moments um, to be able to do those. And maybe, and if you don't know really what you enjoy doing, maybe trying to figure that out, (laughs) um, you know, to bring you some joy. I've noticed you'll find like little things that you, you enjoy like painting or Zumba or different things and you'll start out and then it kind of falters. Like it makes you feel good, but then if something difficult or challenging happens in life that gets you feeling down that it's hard for you to kind of lean into those routines when you need them the most yeah yeah like the past couple of weeks have been kind of rough so zumba's been on the back burner and i haven't gone and zumba's something that really like makes me um happy uh which which is funny that it's now here that I'm doing Zumba because we have a wonderful friend back in Tallahassee that she was a Zumba teacher and she always wanted me to come and I, I wouldn't go. But I, there's a Zumba class here at the Y um, and actually the teacher reminds me a lot of her. So um, I enjoy it 
And um, it just a smile is on my face when I do it. And you don't have to do Zumba perfectly either. That's what's so great about it is that you're in there and you don't have to do all the moves and everything. But it does give me joy. To, and if I feel like I've done that class or there's two of them, actually, if I do both of them in the week, then I feel like, oh, that's that week's been really great. But yeah, I've put that on the back burner and I definitely have noticed it. So it's time to get back to it to bring some to get that feeling back a little bit. And then the bonus question, I think we answered a little bit of the feeling. How do you do a good job to feel super healthy? Okay. Um, um, yeah, I guess it's nice to know that everybody thinks, knows that you think I'm the shiz <laughs> or whatever. I do a better job telling them than telling you. I know that does like, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I feel loved. I feel loved. It doesn't make me necessarily feel any different about myself, though. Like, Do you feel like I overshare with the public? No. About our life? No, I think sometimes it benefits them, too. Everybody likes to know that if something's happening, like whether it be good, bad, whatever it is, I think people like honesty. And so I'm okay with that. Um. You know, because I also know, I feel like I trust your judgment of like what you're sharing, whether or not it would be something. I feel like you also know your listeners or know the people that listen to your thing, stuff and what they get out of it and what they could use. Like, for example, me sharing my whole Twilight addiction there. Um, I typically, like I said, there's embarrassment there for me to admit that. But I also feel like maybe people need to hear it <laughs> in some ways. Maybe it helps them feel better about whatever's happening with them. What? So, yeah. Uh-oh. What do you say uh-oh for? What are you doing? What are you... I grabbed another sheet of paper. Okay. That's all. Okay. Were you done with that question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll do another question. <laughs> Did I mess something up? No, no, it's okay. Relax. Okay. Relax. It's okay. You should see Jenny. She like, I, I literally picked I, up a sheet of paper I and she like grabbed to, her face. I thought you were about to spring and, something and on me. No. <laughs> These are my notes for how I make the show work. Okay. <laughs> when we get to the end of a page, I have to grab another page. That's all. Okay. All right. So All right. next time I grab a page, don't and, panic. Well, and you don't need to stop either. I'm not. It wasn't necessarily panicking. I was just kind of sitting here like, "What's your?" Your doing? face turned red. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're having a physiological response to anxiety. Okay. So we'll do another question. Then I'll grab another sheet of paper. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Megan said, "I have a very close family member who processes processes information in a unique way." It's not always the way others in the family process information, which can lead to misunderstanding, hurt feelings, and relational tension. I found that Mike's raw talk about the way he processes information, coupled with the open dialogue about acceptance and emotional healing, has helped me not only communicate better with her, but appreciate her beautiful spirit more deeply. Pause. Megan, thank you so much. That's like the whole point of my work. <laughs> okay, back to your question. Uh, not everyone in my family is there yet, though. We all love each other so much, but that doesn't mean we understand or are able to honor each other's uniqueness in healthy ways. Do you have any advice for strategies to promote empathy and understanding in a family that is made up of radically different information 
and emotional processing styles? That is, by the way, a phenomenal question. But relatively difficult to answer. Mm. Any advice for strategies? Let's say, um, let's approach it this way. Ha- have I always gotten along super well with your family? No. Do I get along better today than I used to? Yeah. Yeah, but it's mutual. Right. And uh, ha- have you played a role in that? Um. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think you have. Yes. <laughs> so maybe think a little bit about how you guided that process very slowly between very different ways of relating to the world and processing information between me and your folks or even me and your sister. I mean, gosh, Mal's like one of my dear friends. Um, I think it was more of they didn't know you. They didn't live with you or they didn't have the kind of time I had with you to know the kind of person you are. Um, so all they saw was the surface and the things you would say, which now so much makes sense (laughs) (laughs) of how they, it was different for them. (laughs) Um, but anyway, the, I think over time trying to get them to understand the kind of person you were, um, the kind of spouse you are the kind of father you are um anyway i think it just kind of helped them to see us together to see how we interact um and to see from me you know maybe maybe they weren't really judging you on the the full scale of what they knew it was just the surface of what they knew but they didn't they needed to get to know you better um but originally like when i was looking at this question i was thinking like within our own household too um of course i think i think it's maybe if we're talking about parents and children it's easier for a parent to try to have the concept of being patient with your child and trying to like so something happens and you have to maybe take a break for a few minutes, step away and give yourself a pause to think about things before you head back into the whatever, the whether it's a confrontation, whether it's a discussion, whatever you have to kind of, um, a, you know, give yourself time to think about, okay, where's this coming from? Where is she? Like if it's your, your daughter, where, what place are these words, the things she's saying, her reaction, where's it coming from? What do I need to speak to? I need to remember I'm the adult here. Um, and even though sometimes like it can bring out the worst in us, we have to remember, you know, to take that moment to say, she's saying this from a place of hurt or she's, you know, again, being understanding, I think for us, again, it all comes back to that open communication, but it also comes back to if if I say something without really taking that pause, if I say something in the heat of whatever's happening, being able as the parent to come back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a chance to, you know, mm-hmm. for us to talk this out. I'm sorry I overreacted or I'm sorry I reacted this way. So that I think it's easier for a parent and a child where I think it's difficult is from for a, the siblings. If there's, if we're talking about others in your household who are having a hard time relating to their, their sibling, if that's it, um, you know, 
And I think that just kind of takes some time, maybe some guidance on their part, trying to trying to say, you know, maybe one up, take that that sibling one on one and say, okay, I know it's really hard for you to think about it. Maybe put yourself in her shoes for a minute. What if this was happening with you or what? You know, um, I think that's a way to go about it. Um, but again, it all, like when it's siblings, it's it's about where their maturity level is, what their age difference is. And yeah, it could it'll take time. It They're not going to necessarily be able to get that right off. Does that? Yeah. Great. No. What would you have something to add to that? Because I could be also reading this differently than than you're reading it too. Uh. Well, you know me. Like I, my goal is always just to communicate honesty without hostility, and to stay in my lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Big time. So I don't. I have a hard time staying in my lane. Mike's always reminding me to stay in my lane. Like, what exactly is it applying to me versus not applying to me? And I'm giving a lot of. If I give too much time to something that is not in my lane, then it's not helping me and it's not helping the other person either. I try to model good relational <laughs> strategies less than interfere in other people's relationship dynamics. That's um, true. Yeah. Let me tell you a story, dear listeners. Uh, this is really cool. Um, we have two daughters, and they are preteens, young teens, young adults. And there's been a multi-year dynamic in our house of either hearing the phrase, I'm bored, or trying to get their noses out of iPads and devices. And the most wonderful thing happened a couple of days ago. We got a box in the mail. And in that box uh, was, um, let's see, some cardboard struts, some thumbtacks, some plastic syringes, and some tubing, and a set of instructions. And that was basically how to use those raw materials and the box it all came in to create a hydraulic crane. And we handed that box to our daughter, Macy, who spent, 11. She's, 11. she's 11. What did I say? You didn't say how old she okay. was, so I, but I thought that so was So she's important. 11. I was like, I'm pretty good with her age. Uh, so she's 11, and she spent all afternoon into the evening tinkering and building and playing and learning about mechanical engineering. So... In the history of Ask Science Mike, we have only had two sponsors ever because I'm really, really selective about sponsor messages because I only want to talk about things that I want to talk about. So I talked about an email filtering program that I still use and love. I talked about a service that you mail miniature pinatas for the sheer joy of it. And now I'm happy to tell you about a third sponsor called KiwiCo. And KiwiCode helps children and young adults learn about STEAM, meaning science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, but in hands-on, really fun ways. It's one of those like subscription products where you pay a monthly fee and you automatically get a box and they've got a range of lines that go from ages zero all the way to 16 plus that are age appropriate and they're just a lot of fun. I mean, I was kind of jealous of Macy playing around with this engineering product 
product. But it let me kind of walk in and, and help her tinker at key moments because I've got kind of an engineering brain. And KiwiCo is just so, so cool. So they've got their, their age-appropriate, starting with the Tadpole Crate for kids 0 to 2. They've got the Koala Crate and the Kiwi Crate, which is ages 3 and 4 and 5 to 8. And then as you kind of get into older children, they split into different product lines that can include notions of either like geography or arts or more of an engineering focus. And parents can switch between lines at any time. So you can try a variety of projects. They are so much fun. And I think we have a problem as a society right now where our children are over-invested in electronic learning and over-invested in pen and paper learning and lecture-style learning. But when you look at the research of how children learn, they learn from doing things that are hands-on, that engage all of their senses. Uh, that, you know, I would imagine now if Macy actually read a text on hydraulics after having built an armature that's controlled by hydraulics, she would understand that text a lot better. So KiwiCo wants kids to have creative confidence to tackle problems where there isn't just necessarily a right answer. It empowers them to make a project, but also to make a difference, to be fearless innovators, and to do that in a way that is super fun. So here's what KiwiCo is doing for listeners of Ask Science Mike. They're going to let you try one of their boxes for free completely free all they want is your email address so to learn more and redeem this offer go to kiwi.com slash science uh honestly i think the favorite sponsor i've ever had of science mike and i'm actually going to go up uh, to that website myself and sign up tomorrow because macy had so much fun with that kit uh and I really had fun watching her. She even like she after she built it and got it working, she decorated it. Uh, so she turned it into an engineering slash art project. And uh, man, it filled my heart with joy. So again, that's kiwi.com, kiwico.com slash science. Uh, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes on AskScienceMike.com. Are you able to put pictures on your notes? Because you should put a picture. We of can put these. a picture of the of the crane on the. On the episode notes. I mean, as a second on that, as a mom who was watching her, because you were in the office, you were busy, and typically Mike would have been helping. She didn't want any help on it, though. I mean, the fact that she did that herself, like, she just turned it over to her. She had it all out on the table, and she didn't even ask me for anything. And Macy is one that she really can easily get frustrated by something, and then she's done with it. Um, which is something we have tried to work on with her, having patience to work through things when you just can't get them right off the bat. Um, instead of getting so frustrated, you don't want to do it. Anyway, she, you know, I could tell there were a couple of times where she was trying to figure something out, but there was never a time where she was like so frustrated she was going to quit. She was just still trying to figure it out. And that was it. And she kept on and kept and and made it to the end made it to her her thing and that child is always in her um always likes to be in her devices she does yeah so to not see her in her device you and know, I, I was impressed because it starts with like really definitive instructions like right. do this do this do this but then it has a bunch of pictures of different things you can try on your own without any instructions 
And so she took those pictures and built what was depicted. Right. Uh, oh, man. I mean, I, I know we're talking a really long time here, but uh, confession, I've always liked KiwiCo. <laughs> and I've, I've kind of always hoped they would show up as a sponsor. So I was really thrilled to get their email. So uh, I do encourage you to go to KiwiCo.com slash science. Sign up for your free box today. Okay, now we've got a question from Trent. And uh, Trent's question is, I've lost my faith, deconstructed, yet my wife has become even more certain, conservative, and defensive towards me with our children. Do you have any advice for me to defuse the situation and make everything a little more copacetic? Um, anytime we, you know, we, we get, have gotten questions before, like since, since Mike's platform became more like this, you know, like in the last few years, it's always, uh, we always get questions of course, where it's partners, um, whether, you know, that, and how this kind of thing has happened to them. How do we, how can we help them like tell them what works? And you know, I always kind of have a hard time with this because every relationship is different. So what worked for us isn't going to necessarily work for you because um, everybody's different personalities. And I will say like there were some there were some hard times there at first. There was resentment on my part for to Mike um, for, uh, you know, all of a sudden changing in this big way that to me that I thought that we had an agreement of where we stood on it. And then for him to like throw this wrench in the whole, <laughs> in the whole way our life was working. Um, I had a lot of resentment for that because it was like, well, what does this mean? Um, what's this mean for our future? And so it was hard there for a while. And um, I don't think I never really had like, talked about him to our children or got defensive with uh towards um towards him with the kids or anything like that but there would I would make some cutting remarks I'm sure to him in those early days of it uh what I had to you still throw occasionally now oh well, it's different <laughs> it's different now <laughs> um but what I will say is that and you just this was where it was going to get good. Like I had some now Go I got to try. I got to try to find it again. What what I had to reconcile with was that just because at that time that he didn't believe in God anymore. It didn't mean that he wasn't a good person or that he wasn't a good husband, a good provider, a good um, father for our kids and i think when you're when you're in such a con, grown up in such a conservative evangelical background you're you're told this format this way your life is supposed to be that uh, two you cannot be equally yoked with another um a, a non-believer and you know that's just the script that we're given then but that's not what life is about. Um, and it's hard to see past that when that's the script you have. 
So if if she's not at this place and everything, it's because it's hard for her. She can't she can't see past that script. Um, And I don't know what the ultimate answer is there, you know, um, except for you to continue to um, show grace and patience and um, be willing to let her continue to see the type of human and person that you are. Uh, with with other people with her um, with your kids um, and let her continue to see that good and that that good has nothing to do with whether you believe in God or not Um, and if she loves you that love will overcome that at some point Um, but it takes time I think Um, and you know, I think there will probably be for her when she does have that realization, you know, she herself will then go through her own thing because, and then that's going to even be another road, um, you know, that'll come. But that's what I, I would say is just, you have to reconcile with the thing that you've been taught your whole life, that it's not, that's not the way it really is in life. Um, so yeah. All right. Daniel said, I recall from the liturgist parenting and deconstruction episode that you've also been on something of a deconstruction reconstruction journey. I'm basing this question off that. So I apologize if it's off the mark, such considerate questions (laughs) (laughs) as an Enneagram six, how did you begin to trust enough to start rebuilding some sort of faith practice having already decided, as I presume, that the old structure could no longer be trusted. Do you find security in a faith that isn't logically justified like evangelicalism is? Or have you been able to build some sort of structured approach to faith that works for you now? I guess, more succinctly, how does your (laughs) post-deconstruction faith practice support you as an Enneagram 6? And I I would just go ahead and let the world know, this is not the way you talk or think about faith at all. No. No, it's not. That's um, a very, very, very me way of describing yeah. faith journeys. Um, yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest differences, like with Mike and I, and I think some people, um, they probably have a different idea of what happens in our household. Like how can, you know, of course somebody like Science Mike, you know, what does his wife think? What does she talk about? What's Where's her brain at on some of these things? Um, and it's definitely not there uh, to the, le- like, thinking about things to such a degree and such a level. Because um, my fate to begin with, you know, growing up was definitely just always like a childlike fate. I believed it because that's what I had been told my whole life. Um, that was the way I was raised. Um you know, all my friends were in the church. I was in the college group, blah, 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 did it all. Um, met my husband in the church. So, you know, it was just the normal, normal thing of, I just, there was no questioning it. Uh, and I think from that, the previous question I've answered about the, where my faith is or deconstruction. I mean, I don't really know. I couldn't really tell you what my faith structure actually is right now. Um, I will say as a six for a while, there was a lot of fear in that. Um, and that's what kind of was hard when that, 
when the deconstruction started happening, when there was like, well, maybe there isn't God or and all of that. Um, Cause there's, as a six, you find comfort and security, of course, um, the security of knowing, um, okay, well, one day when we die, we go to heaven. Um, you know, we just live this good life. We do good. We, we serve in the church, blah, 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 blah. Um, but there's security in that. And then when you start to question that maybe there isn't God, you know, well, what does that mean for an afterlife? What does that mean when we die? You know, all these things. It's like, yeah, it's, it's really scary. <laughs> um, and I don't know where, at what point I stopped worrying about that part doesn't mean that as a six, I don't have like issues about security and stuff. I just have found that my secu- my security issues no longer deal with anything of a faith basis. I don't really think about that. And I don't know how I was able to compartmentalize and turn that off for a while. But uh, um, I, I would say, yeah, that it, it can be hard at the beginning for sure. Um, I think you start where the trust happens is when you start thinking about the other things, the other possibilities. Um, you know, we've, we have visited a couple of churches out here. There's one specific that we've gone to. And um, when I leave from there, I do feel uplifted because the things that that church talks about and the, 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 the where they stand on all these, the issues that where, where we stand, um, it gives me hope. Um, and so I think it is possible to trust in something again. Um, but the, the initial part is hard. Um, and I don't know if I've really fully answered that. It's kind of hard to fully answer that when I still feel like I'm in a part of figuring all that out. And I could be figuring all that out for quite some time now. I don't know. Um, you have such a social communal frame mm-hmm. for faith. So I've noticed that your faith practices and to some degree your I guess your beliefs mirror your spiritual community. Yes. Um which right now is not a church. It's not a church. So it's, it's a bunch do, of friends who meet on Sunday nights. It's a bunch of friends who meet on Sunday night. Um yeah, we're going to like we're recording this on a Sunday actually. So when we're done, we'll be heading to see them. And uh yeah, I mean, that's my church. <laughs> I mean, in the form of what church brought for me. Um that's where I find um healing. That's where I find rejuvenation. That's where I find comfort. It's where I find friendship. It's where I find security and trust, honesty, um, gentleness, all the things. I mean, it's like, what? You're like, well, I'm just saying, and I want to be clear, it's not a Christian group. No, it's not. There are Christians in it. They're but on Thanksgiving, yeah. on Thanksgiving, they asked me to say a prayer. Wasn't that Thanksgiving? No. Were we? It was a holiday where we were Easter. all at Easter. It was Easter. So they asked me to say a blessing, and I likewise, okay, how do I say a blessing that incorporates all the faith journeys and places in this room, which includes like some 
Christians, and when I say Christians, I mean like Christians like me. <laughs> We've all, uh, to post we Christians, a- to atheists, to I don't know what I believe, to kind of mm-hmm. uh, new age, and I, uh, you know, trying to say a blessing that wove that tapestry well uh, was actually quite fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that's part of the thing when you're deconstructing, where you feel like you've lost your community. And I was in that for for quite some time, feeling like I lost my community. Um, And it is hard. It's hard there to get through that. Um, So, but there could be something greater on the other side of it. Um, Something that's more honest. Something that's real. That wasn't necessarily that before. If I'm distracting you, I'm sorry. No, you're not distracting okay, me. I just can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sick, y'all. Okay. Uh, Matthew said, what's a habit that brings you joy? Mm, that's a hard one. It it shouldn't be. I think it kind of goes... And let's just go ahead and throw Leah's question in at the same time. Jenny, Purple Heart, <laughs> what in your life is bringing you the most joy or the most frustration? <laughs> um, I wish I could say it was like something specific, like a, a thing or an activity. Um, I'm always kind of like, I mean, I've always, I don't know, if you're an Enneagram lover and we've talked about it already on the six, I don't know if this is a six thing or whatever. Um, the six, that's why I think the liturgist shirt for the six was kind of funny. Cause it says all my friends have this shirt too, because I have found like the joy in my life, even when things are not, not going well or great, you know, I, and I just was talking about it is having a, a, a group of friends that, you know, are there that you can depend on. And, like to me, like having friends that are that share your life, that brings me a lot of joy um, and and rejuvenation, like being able to see them on a weekly basis um, and hang out and just talk about life. That brings me joy because when we're not able to get together because everybody's so busy or something, um, you know. You, you can tell like I think everybody can kind of tell that they kind of just need that and our group does have multiple people who tour for a living so so yeah um friends bring me a lot of joy my children bring me joy um even when sometimes they can be the ones that are frustrating and things that are going on with them but I get a lot of joy out of them and watching them grow and and the things that are happening in their lives when it's, especially when it's something that's really great and it's positive and, um, and things are going well for them. Um, so yeah. What about what brings you frustration? (laughs) She cut me a look. Um, actually, okay. In regards to Mike, what brings me frustration is when I don't feel like he's taking care of himself. Yeah. When I feel, yeah, that brings me frustration. I always take care of myself. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because I do feel like, and I know a lot of his listeners and 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 patrons, patrons, you you probably notice it too or whatever. I will say everybody's always so so sweet about saying, Mike, we know this has to take a toll on you, or you know, we hope you're finding ways to rest when and because you give yourself so much. Um, and he does, he really does. Uh, and that's okay. That's his life's work and I'm fully support it. But I do have frustration when I feel like he's just go, 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 go. And it is really depleting his, uh, energy. Like he's sick right now. And I think he's sick right now because he has been traveling for like three weeks straight and trying to finish a book. And so when he's here, I don't see him because he's in the office in his office writing away. And um, so, yeah, I don't think he takes care of himself like he should. That's what brings me frustration. Wah, wah. <laughs> Aaron said, what do you feel is specific and different from Mike's about your faith journey as a woman? I mean, if you, if you have any thoughts beyond what you said already. Well, I think specifically like the evangelical uh, background of course women are, and men are treated differently um, and what's acceptable for a woman what's acceptable for a man um, I haven't really thought of it though as like our faith journeys especially when I'm still like figuring out my faith journey but um, so like one of the things from my like I could look at it as a, a, a defensive wife um, when he was going through his struggle you know he all this I, I always felt like people were saying like behind our backs or if they saw me in the grocery store I always kind of felt self-conscious I felt like they were saying oh poor Jenny well, sometimes not behind your back yeah not behind my back <laughs> right but, to your face <laughs> but poor Jenny Mike's Mike's leading so many astray or he's you know what's he done to their family as the leader of the, the their spiritual household you know because the in that world the husband, the father is looked to as the spiritual leader of the home. So if, if something happens with them, then the whole home is, you know, going down. Um, so yeah, I think that's where it can be different for a man for sure. Um, and, uh, for a woman, um, I don't know. I don't know exactly how I would say I mean, I'm sure there's stuff there. <laughs> I just can't think of it right off the bat. Go ahead. What do you have? Do you have some, Dad? Nothing. No. Oh. It's ask the honey badger. I'm just here. I know, just but I just don't. Questions. A lot of times, I just don't think about it in that term. Those terms. Um, if as the wife or as the spouse, I'm sure they would think, well, of course Jenny's going to have this because of her husband. This is what happened. Um. Leah had a question. How has finding out about Mike's having autism spectrum disorder helped or changed your relationship? What would be your advice to someone who suspects that their spouse also has autism spectrum disorder? Um, I think it ha it's changed and helped it both for the better. I've always known there was something with Mike, of course, <laughs> living with him, being with him for this many years. Um, I just always thought they were quirks and I just, you know, knew, well, this is how, 
uh, Mike is. And this is, you know, what you choose. To, you live with this when, when, when you choose to love someone and be married to them or be their spouse and commit to life together. These are the things that happen. This is what you commit to, the ways they they are, the people that they are, the things they need. Um, so I've always been used to that, but I've also always felt like I had to excuse Mike with with other people, like um, things that would seem like the social norm that Mike wouldn't do. I felt like I would have to excuse it. Like what? Um uh, not to put you on the spot. Well, weird. gosh, I used to have them all at the ready right after everything. Um, but you know, like if you're you're off on your own somewhere, I'd say you know, um, he's okay. He's just had a long day or something. Or I felt like, or if Mike didn't, uh, Mike also. It's really funny. Like he has, my parents would always think, and this was one of the reasons why it was hard at the beginning. My parents always think thought Mike had this, um, was too self-absorbed. That's what they called it. Uh -huh. Um, they felt like he, he, he would, was too thinking too much of himself. For example, if Mike got hungry and he didn't like what we were eating, he'd get in the car and go like to a fast food <laughs> restaurant, get something, only get it for himself and bring it back and wouldn't ask anybody else what they wanted. Um, this is like just a small little example, and it might, but I really think part of that was he gets such this focus. First off, in his mind, he wasn't going to bother anybody else, and just because it wasn't something that he wanted to eat, he didn't want to make anybody else feel bad about it. So he felt. And I like, used to be a much pickier eater. Yeah, and he used to be a much pickier eater at that. Um, so that's just a little example. I mean, that's a really small example, but there's a lot of times where I felt like I had to excuse Mike, you know, or. I never introduce you to people. Oh yeah, he never introduces me to people <laughs> or anyone to anyone or to anyone. Um, yeah, and so it never occurs to me as a thing that should be done. Yeah, I mean, again, real big like social norms, and especially growing up in the South, um, and North Florida is very much the South. Um, when you grow up with that, there's certain like etiquette things that that you're taught, or certain social things that are just socially acceptable and things that are not and um, manners, you know, and Mike didn't have any of them. <laughs> and I don't think that it's not because his family didn't teach him. I just don't think it occurred to him. You know? I, have manners. I mean, you have manners, but it was like the social thing. You know what I'm I talking. I mean, yes. And, uh, but so in that small little sex part, it has been so great. And especially with our, our group of friends and stuff, they totally get Mike. They know him and they know and, and they know I don't have to apologize for him or make an excuse for him. Um, it's sometimes hard having a, a spouse who is on the autism spectrum that you sometimes do feel alone uh, because your spouse is in like a whole nother world than you are. So when we are in groups and it, especially when it's our friends and it's their other and the spouses are together, I do feel like a lot of times like I'm in some way a single because Mike is um, not fully present or fully able to be um, with me all there, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, but I'm also like, like I said, I've been we've been I've been used to it. 
there being different things. He gets very hyper-focused on things. Um, and now that I know there's a reason for it, he used to get upset when I would come and try to, like, I would interrupt him on something and things like that, and it would really throw him off. But now I actually come to get him out of the hyper-focus sometimes when I feel like he's gone down, like, this rabbit hole of trying to find information for something that's, you know, so far, like, doesn't even need or whatever. It's because he's gone into this hyper-focus mo mode on this subject, whatever it may be. And so I have to try to tell him, hey let's come back out of there. Um, I can give a little example from last night if he's willing for me to share that about staying up till three o'clock in the morning sure. to play a game on the computer. It's a really good game. Yeah. But like three o'clock in the morning and Mike is one that he has to have like 10 hours sleep to be able to function. And so that's another reason why he gets sick or gets like run down is because he's not given his body enough time to sleep. And so I kept coming in here multiple times saying, Hey, it's 11 o'clock. Hey, it's midnight. Hey, it's one. And at that point I went on to bed. I thought, because he said, I'll be right in. And then, I thought I would. That last boss battle yeah. was brutal. And then I fell asleep, woke up at, three and he wasn't in bed yet so and then i came and actually yelled at him <laughs> I'm like what are you doing as far as like you know come on because it's like he gets in this mode and can't get him out sorry i had to beat it I had to beat it and the boss battle literally did take like an hour and a half it's not like i lost and i had to go back it was one ongoing thing and i had finally found out i'd reached a point of stasis equilibrium where i wasn't winning and, and the computer wasn't winning so when i figured out oh that's the approach then i i couldn't like save and come back to it later obviously here's a related question this is from andrew it says this question is from my wife and then the the big smiley face like the closed eyes smiley face uh as the wife of someone with idiosyncratic tendencies how much do you work to accommodate the more difficult aspects of those quirks and how much do you try to help the person change or be better? Um, so, yeah, so I actually, I think, I think that I'm pretty good at like, I wouldn't, catering is not the word, but I do kind of cater to those quirks. Um, because I, that was the other great thing about having an official diagnosis. Cause then I was like, okay, well he can't help this. All this, all these things that have driven me crazy over the last 18 years, he really can't help them. Um, and now I actually have something to name it. And it kind of made me feel a little bit more sane, <laughs> um, as far as, you know, these things that would constantly bring me frustration was kind of like, okay, well, there is a reason for this. You have to just let it go and try to help navigate it, I guess, which is what I've really already been, had been doing. Um, so, you know, there's little things, you know, if, if I wasn't like put on the spot, I could probably name a whole bunch of quirks. Um, I named one already, the whole lunch thing. Like Mike doesn't, he will be to the point of like getting the shakes and if I'm not home, then he doesn't realize he he's hungry until he's getting the shakes. And that's like two o'clock. So he's gone past lunchtime. Um, if I'm home, what I make a point to do is to go ahead and fix something for him and bring it into the office. Um, 
but it's like things like that, like just everyday things, not knowing when to feed yourself, to get yourself food, um, not being able to listen to those things. Uh, mm, what else? There's a lot there, but there's it's just really hard because it's such a part of our life, like a normal, um, a normal thing. I don't want I don't try to make him change. I know that that's not gonna that we're kind of at a point now. I think he has like from the time we dated. I think he really used to try to. You don't make me change, but you do set. You communicate needs and expectations. Right. That's true. Like we have a conversation like more now. Like I know you can't help this, but this is what I need. Can you can you try to can you try to put that in your database <laughs> of of trying to we were getting out of the car recently well not super recently recently ish somewhere and as we're getting close you know she said we're just not doing well as in me and her and our marriage and i was like wait what we're not doing well what does that mean we about to get separated oh my gosh so then i was like running through my database of relational interactions like everything seems fine what's going on so finally I don't know if it was the next day or a couple days later. I was like, hey, what do you mean we're not doing well? Because everything seems fine to me. We live together. We eat peanut butter sandwiches. I mean, what else could we want? And then you told me that you you needed some sense of connection and that I felt distant and that I didn't know what that meant. So I said, well, what makes you feel like I'm distant? What creates that feeling? And then you describe specific things like me staying in my office so long or when I came out, uh, you know, not I didn't touch you enough and I didn't, uh, um, I didn't have conversations about practical everyday things or dreams or hopes. I talked about rising sea levels and the kind of stuff that I work through in my brain and geoengineering and, and sociopolitical engineering solutions to humanity's problems. And uh, that just wasn't, wasn't making it work for you. And so then I responded by what? Doing little things and then saying the word connection, connection. to let you know that I was trying. Yeah. And he has been. He has been trying. There has been connection. But... He remind it reminded me like him being so like what 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 do you mean we're not <laughs> doing well? It reminded me that you know he does see things so much differently than I do about like about our time together and what and where we stand where we are as a couple or where we're standing as a couple on on the way we see things. So it reminded me that um he sometimes doesn't have a clue because he's just on a different. I'm sure mode. there's people who believe we that me and that person have a fundamentally broken and dysfunctional relationship, and I think we're like close friends and we haven't talked yeah. in years. <laughs> it's just how my brain works. Okay, Colton had a question. We're gonna we got two more questions here. Uh, we'll go to a real heavy one and then a real fun one. How's that? So here's the heavy one. Colton's question was, how has your immediate family responded to your and Mike's faith transitions? How did those, how did you have those hard conversations with them? Does your mom think you're going to hell? 
I would love to hear you talk about the dynamics of your relationship with your family members and how you're navigating exposing a piece of yourself you knew would let them down. Thanks. Hmm. Um, honestly, we don't talk about it a whole lot. Because <laughs> if we do, it goes down a path that doesn't necessarily end well. Um, yeah. Uh, I think my my folks, specifically my mom, s- thinks to herself, where did we go wrong? Meaning them, you know. Um, and then, then thinks, how are Mike and I, uh, what are we doing in raising their grandchildren? <laughs> you know, what does that mean for their... Taking them to protest rallies, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what does that mean for their afterlife um, with the Heavenly Father? <laughs> um, yeah, it... When your husband, this is the work that he does, and you move across the country because it's, it's like to Los Angeles, to Los Angeles, the city of sin, <laughs> voted for Hillary Clinton by a million votes. Um, you know, it's like it's really hard because this is the work he does, right? And this is um, what our life is now built on, um, and what you know what a lot of our life is about <laughs> and you can't really, sh- I can't really share it with my folks. I can't talk too much about it with them. Um, like, and even in the uh, extended family, you know, like I know my mother doesn't like, I mean, it's like kind of a catch 22. So she has a son-in-law that's written a book and that's really great. And a, a son-in-law who works on this, these podcasts and who's part of like this movement, um, that gets like some recognition, you know? Um, so you have that, but it's all the kind of stuff recognition and, and all the kind of work he's doing is stuff that goes totally against everything that she has defined as her faith and, and what she's come been brought up with and everything. Um, what's funny is when like her cousins, um, who are her age range, like one of them specifically uh, follows Mike's work and says how great the stuff is that he's doing and stuff. And she's obviously more progressive in her thinking and everything. Um, and it's really funny because she knows more about Mike's work than my own parents and my own mother do. So um, it's, it, it is quite the, the balancing act. Um, I'm supposed to go home just myself in a couple of weeks to, you know, just visit with them and see them. Um, it makes it a little easier that my sister is on the same f- frame of mind that Mike and I are of as far as the where we see eye to eye on things and stuff. So it kind of creates a little bit of a nice buffer. And there's just things we just don't talk about now um, with our folks. Um, I can't, And I hate that. I really do. Because I feel like uh, there are things I would love to be able to share with them, you know, fun, wonderful things that are happening. And even the, the, the bad things that happen, um, that I sometimes, that I feel like I can't, um, cause there's not an understanding there of it. There's a, um, there's also a, a fear of it on their part. 
And um, so it, it really is kind of sad when you when you do want to share those things with your family and you feel like you can't. Um, I think you just have to try to get past it and realize that you can't change their minds. You can't make them see a different way. Um, and unless you just don't want to have a relationship at all with them anymore, you really have to find a way to just... Um, not talk about it and talk about your, your, the things you talk about then maybe become superficial, <laughs> more shallow there. The, it's sad because the depth of your relationship with them isn't what it was before probably. Um, and I do find as human beings where we get so a lot of our fulfillment in life. And that's what I've found like with our friends is the depth of our relationship with them. Now um, being able to talk about, all these subject matters and things on a like on a level that's not just you know glossing over it um and that's what's hard when it's family when it's people that you love that that, that raised you and so yeah um it's complicated <laughs> and that's just my family <laughs> and I won't uh, I won't talk to Mike they know all about how me related to my family. Last question. You ready? Yeah. It's anonymous. <laughs> Submitted under the letter a lowercase a. Aw. <laughs> it literally starts with aw. What is one of your most favorite things about each other? Um I love it when Mike laughs. When it's true laugh. when it's true joy when he gets a kick out of something and it's like this it's not a full hearty laugh. It is like a giggle. Especially when it's something he gets a kick out of that something he said or did <laughs> or that he thinks is funny. I am the funniest person I um but of course that was one of the things that attracted me to him. He made me laugh, he made me smile. And you're a harder laugh than I am. Yeah, I am harder to laugh. I'm a tough. Yeah, you're a tough laugh. Tough so laugh. It's a, high, it's a high, high bar. Yeah. Um. And he does always make me feel like the prettiest person in the room. You are. <laughs> this is tough for me. Because there are so many things. You roll your eyes, but I yeah, mean because it. you're going to end on this, and they're going to be like, "Oh, no, I'm not." So yeah, I think you're going to be disappointed with what, what <laughs> I'm going with. But it's like my favorite thing right now. Okay, Bruce. Oh God. When you get a two or three drinks in you, that like really, really, really over the top, warm, touchy, lean into conversation. Uh, open place you go is just delightful, especially if you start dancing. That's uh, I wish Bruce could come out without the drink. Bruce can come out without the drink, that's <laughs> it's the, really hard though. <laughs> well, that's what the therapy's for, yeah. We'll see. But the way, the way what alcohol does for you is 
Let's pacify like, and quiet your insecurities. That's true. There's a lot of insecurities. And I start seeing the you coming out from under that toxic fog of insecurity that obscures the inner beauty in you from the world that I always know is there, which is why I would say, here's to Bruce. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I mean it. I know. Don't. I'm also I'm, good I'm with hoping, words. I'm hoping everybody doesn't think that I am like, I'm an alcoholic. No, no you don't okay. drink very often at all. Um, but when you do, it's a good time. Yeah, our friends know Bruce too. It's a good time. Yeah. That's really the only time Bruce comes out is with yeah. our friends. Well, everyone now thinks, people are going to want to know why is it Bruce? Uh, okay, there's a picture on the internet. It's an old, old, old meme. Very early meme. Two cows are standing in a field. One of the cows has like a, a toddler's pretend car on its head. I think it's a little tyke's car. Like a little tyke's car. Like it got stuck in the... Yes, and the other cow looks at that cow and the subtitle is Bruce, you are drunk. <laughs> so when I think Jenny's in a frame of mind where she might put her head in a little tyke's car, that's when I say, everybody, Bruce is here. And then now at this point, all our friends go, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. Get excited. Because Bruce means good times are about to happen. Well, Jenny, thank you for being a guest on Ask Science Mike. How, how do you feel about it? I feel good. I think it's long. I hope people stick through. Where can people reach you online if they want to connect with you? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> on my Instagram? On your Instagram, which is? Um, what is it? Is it at? Do we say at? At, at Honey Badger in LA. Yes, at Honey Badger in LA is Jenny's Instagram. <laughs> and since I'm not on Instagram anymore, it's your best chance at seeing me on Instagram. Uh, everybody, I know it's been a while. I think it's been three weeks since my last show. I'm trying to get back every two weeks until the book is done. Then we'll get back with every week of Ask Science Mike. I do want to do more of these conversational episodes. I enjoy them very much. It doesn't mean I'll get rid of the Q&A format that the show started with. But I'd like, you know, maybe a third or even half of the episodes to be conversational like that. Like this, because I really enjoy them. Uh, as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts either on Patreon for my patrons or you can leave a comment on AskScienceMike.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.